0: Welcome to tonight's Saturday Night Special, episode 132. I'm Tom Herman. I challenge you to invest in yourself, invest in others, develop your influence, and impact the world by using your time, your talent, and your treasures to live out your calling. Having the ability to discover your unique God-given purpose is key, and one way to be inspired to do that is to listen to this, the Inspired Stewardship Podcast with my friend Scott Mater. I would say... That's what I would want to be known for, is helping people redeem the time and break away from the striving survivalist mentality and walk in that kingdom mindset and living that life that Jesus came for us to have, right? A life to the full, a health to the full, finances to the full, relationships to the full, all of it, the the idea of shalom. I'd want to be known for helping people walk in that.
1: Welcome and thank you for joining us on the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. If you truly desire to become the person who God wants you to be, then you must learn to use your time, your talent, and your treasures for your true calling. In the Inspired Stewardship Podcast, you will learn to invest in yourself, invest in others, and develop your influence so that you can impact the world. In tonight's Saturday Night Special, I interview Tom Herman about his own change towards finding his calling as a life coach. I also asked Tom to explain why sometimes we hold ourselves back from our God-designed life. And Tom also shares with you the key to finding what you should be rather than what you should do. One reason I like to bring you great interviews like the one you're going to hear today is because of the power in learning from others. Another great way to learn from others is through reading books. But if you're like most people today... You find it hard to find the time to sit down and read. And that's why today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Go to inspiredstewardship.com audible to sign up and you can get a 30-day free trial. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from. And instead of reading, you can listen your way to learn from some of the greatest minds out there. That's inspiredstewardship.com slash audible to get your free trial and listen to great books the same way you're listening to this podcast. Tom is a kingdom-minded entrepreneur who is helping Christians find their life purpose and succeed in their God-given assignment. Tom and his wife Katie are both certified life coaches and founders of Attractively Different Coaching. Using cognitive behavioral therapy, neuro-linguistic programming, and the truth of God's word, they help their clients discover the truth of who they are and live accordingly. Tom's life mission is to help people overcome fear and confusion so that they can live rich, purposeful lives that are attractively different after discovering this calling from leaving his former career in the financial services. Welcome to the show, Tom. Thanks for having me, Scott. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So we talked a little bit in the intro about how you had worked in the financial services industry, you had done a a work like that, and then you pivoted and began coaching folks. And I'm always interested in hearing when people make a, a, a big pivot like that, what is it, how did you know that it was time to make a change? How did you feel like your calling changed? Where, how did that come about? Yeah, it's a great question. And it, it was a a series of
0: events, right? Like most things are, it's not just one big, uh, I'm the picture I have coming to my mind is like back to the future. I guess it's back to the future one where it's doc has this lightning bolt moment where it sends him back to the future, right? There wasn't like this one, like lightning bolt moment, but I was in financial services at the time, maybe eight years into my career there, and I was very passionate about leadership, still am passionate about leadership, and I was managing a team of about 20, 25 people, and I was really just struggling with this fulfillment, like just dissatisfaction. I enjoyed the leadership aspect of things, but just being in a corporate space, the politics that come with that, there were just moments where it's like... And even a kind of a revelation where I was doing certain things, or I would be creative. And I realized, man, anything that I create here as working for Fidelity at the time is actually owned by Fidelity. I could come up with this great idea. Like what I'm building here, the impact that I'm making is enhancing Fidelity's legacy, which is great, but it's like, could I do that for myself? And so in all of this, I just had the ideas. I want a lens. I want some type of, yeah, some type of lens to look through to see like, Am I doing what is going to bring me the most purpose? So I, I took time to write my own personal mission statement and I wanted it to be usable. So like it took me three or four months to bring it down to one or two sentences. And what I came to is that I want to help people overcome fear and confusion to live rich, purposeful lives that are attractively different. And so that was my lens that I started looking through whatever I was doing in life. Is this helping me? Is this helping people overcome fear and confusion to live rich, purposeful lives that are attractively different? And so that was maybe 2018 timeframe. In September 2019, my wife became a life coach and I saw her working with her clients. And it was like, oh my goodness, this is almost the definition of my purpose statement, right? She's helping people overcome. Fear and confusion to live rich, purposeful as attractively different. I started to see the results that she was getting for her clients. And in leadership, I was doing very similar things. Like I was raising up representatives of fidelity to my vision was if I could help them be the best version of themselves, they're going to be a great employee. I didn't want to teach them how to have a great sales conversation or client conversations like, no, I want to help them be better communicators. I want to help them be better with relationships. So the things I'm going to coach them on, the things I'm going to teach them on, if they take these and apply them at home, they're going to be a better husband. They're going to be a better wife. They're going to be a better parent. Like That was my vision for it. And so as I saw my wife like impacting her clients, it was just, wow, Like my personal mission statement is this. And so over time, it took probably about six months or so for me to then become a certified coach. But I started to see the impact that it could make. And God prompted us to move into, to leave corporate, our corporate job and move more into building this full-time. And so it really started with just having this desire to have a lens of how to bring more purpose, how to bring more fulfillment. And once I got that clarity, it was like these this opportunity popped out to me. And It's like, that's it. I need to start moving in that direction.
1: Mm-hmm. So you don't, let me say some things back to you and make sure I'm, I'm not off base with this, but- it doesn't sound like it was that the job that you were doing with Fidelity was completely out of alignment with your calling. There were definitely things within it that you were able to express what later became your mission statement. And you wrote your mission statement while you're still working for them. There's probably right. some alignment there, but rather you left to do this full time because you felt like this allowed you to be even more in alignment with the calling. Is that an accurate way of putting it or? Absolutely. And there was a desire to create something of
0: my own, right? There was this desire. And especially as I'll say this, that I was doing really well in the role that I was in, but there was a stirring in my heart, a stirring in my spirit that was taking a lot of time away from my family and my kids. And Mm. I thought if I'm leading better in the workplace than I am in, in my own home, I don't really like that idea. And not that I was leading poorly in my home, but it was like, there was just a lot of time spent leading this team. And so I started to think differently and think, okay, how can I lead, do both, right? Have a both and mindset, not either, or either have the results at work and not at home. How can I do both? And so as that vision started to grow, it led me to the place of, well, the vision that I have for my family and the vision where we want to go, I don't know if working in the corporate space is is going to do that. So it started looking for different opportunities to have more of an entrepreneur mindset. So like I said, it was
1: a series of events of just a stirring of how do I have both? Well, and the opportunity aligned with the the the, the calling as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Let's flip that because I've got a very similar story and listeners have heard it before of being in a job that I loved in many ways, but then there were things I didn't and transitioning out to run my full-time coaching business and doing all of that, not dissimilar. And yet I've also, especially as a coach, and I'm sure you've seen it too, I've seen folks holding themselves back from living what they seem to feel is the life that God's designed for them. Mm -hmm. They've got this calling, they've got this stirring in their heart, as you put it and yet they're holding themselves back from it. Why do you think it is that we sometimes hold ourselves back or, or take you? Why did you take the time you took before making the change?
0: Yeah. I think there's this misunderstanding in the sense of what life is supposed to look like and how, if, especially if you're a believer, how God wants to like co-labor with us to create something great in this life. And and what i mean by misunderstanding is we we're all raised with this programming this thinking of a survivalist mentality right instead of thinking first what is my assignment we think that our assignment is to go gather and to survive right we're we're working to stop we're working towards retirement we're working towards the weekend it's just the survivalist mentality of i i'm just trying to survive whatever that looks like there's practicality of my desire may be more in this area but I don't know how to make money there. So I'm going to push that desire aside and maybe a skill set aside to go do this, because this is more practical. Mm -hmm. And yet, as I started to like get in the word and see what what God says, it's like in Hebrews, it talks about Jesus is our Sabbath rest. And there's Mm -hmm. pictures in the old Testament of the Sabbath rest. Like the only way the Sabbath rest is possible is because God provided more than enough for them to rest on Saturday or whenever the Sabbath is right They had to have a double portion of manna the day before. There's a Sabbath year where they couldn't work the land. And God says, I'll provide more than enough for you to live through. There's uh, all these things. And so as I started to see like, oh, like when I'm in my assignment that God has for me, I can't think in a survivalist way of thinking. I have to think kingdom. I have to think the way God has laid it out where I do have a Sabbath rest where, yes, I will gather as I pursue my assignment. But my assignment is to not go out there and gather and survive because he's going to provide more than enough. And so that's no, no fault to somebody who is thinking in that survivalist mentality. It's just the system that we've grown up in, it's a system mm-hmm. that we see around us. And yet, as I learned more about God and his character and who he is, I started to see what if I actually believed that this was true? <laughs> what if I believed that God had an assignment for me and that he would provide more than enough so that I could pursue my assignment? wholeheartedly.
1: And I, I think it, it, it's interesting because that a lot of that comes out of, how shall I put this? It's the balancing act of faith, right? It, we're back to the both end. You said that earlier, I use that phrasing a lot as opposed to the either or. It, is faith passive or active? Is it doing something or being something? And I think we put it up as a false dichotomy. We put it up as an either or when the answer is yes. <laughs> and I think that happens to us a lot when we're pursuing our calling too. What would you add to that or or say to that? Yeah, I, there's definitely wisdom in
0: what we're pursuing. As I started to get a stirring, think about my story. As I started to get a stirring in my heart to, to be more entrepreneurial and learn about these things, there was... There was a process that I had to go through to actually become the person who could do that. So much of, I think, where I've seen my clients get stuck and that we work out of, and most people, it's this mindset of, I just need to do better. I know what I need to do. I need to be more disciplined. I need to work harder. I need to spend more hours. And it's like, no, you actually need to become the person who can do these things. Now, there's a small nuance in that. One is... One is more reactionary. I need to do this. Here's my to-do list. And when we're in a reactionary state of mind, we can't create. And the first thing we learn about God in Genesis 1-1 is that he's a creator and we're made in his image, like we're called to create. And so as I started to think, okay, who do I need to become to be an entrepreneur? I need to learn how to administrate or manage certain things. I need to be a self-starter. I need to become someone who um, has a vision. I need to become someone who can share my vision. It's it's not necessarily, oh, I need to do this checklist one, two, three, and all this will happen. And as I shifted my mindset of becoming, as opposed to doing, it allowed me to go through this process where when it gives room for imperfection, but there was a process of that becoming process was the preparation to then step into it. And so I think we get in this mindset of, I want to do this now, and I'm going to do these things, but we miss the preparation of learning how to step in and go take the land. Even thinking about like the Israelites, when they went and took the land, like they were taking it one, one piece at a time, right? God's, you will conquering these people and the land won't be vacant because if it was, it'd be overrun by animals, right? Like they had to step into their full promise. They had to do things one step at a time, but that's where the faith came in. We're going to conquer these people. We're going to conquer these people. And then eventually we'll have the land. Yeah. Learning how to administrate and Step into that becoming process and not get discouraged of this isn't happening now. Right, there was a two-year process of Mm -hmm. becoming (laughs) before I went full-time and left the corporate space. Mm
1: -hmm. I think that's important to to call out. Why do you think it is that we concentrate so much on the doing instead of the becoming? Why is that the question we ask? Yeah, I think
0: that's I think that's our natural tendency, like what our brain goes to, right? Like We're not taught to, I'll say this, the quality of our questions will determine the quality of our answers. And so the reality is, who do I need to become is one question Mm -hmm. that produces a result. And how do I need to do this? Or what do I need to do is another question? So there there are questions that we ask ourselves, but they lead to totally different places. Mm -hmm. Because when I ask the question, what do I need to do? Or how am I supposed to do this? you need to maybe open up an LLC, you need to start getting clients, you need to get generate leads. And now I become so overwhelmed because I don't know how to do those things. I move into a state of mind that's fearful. And like I said, reaction. And that creates a downward spiral where we become so overwhelmed that we end up not taking any action. Versus asking the question, who do I need to become, creates a result of, well, I need to become someone who has a vision. I need to become someone who is able to share that vision. I need to become someone who's so passionate about my um, prospect or my clients that it's, this is a mission, like I'm going to, right. And out of that becoming process there, the to-do list starts to come out of that. What does it look like to become someone who has a vision? Well, I need to figure out what I'm passionate about. There are to-dos that flow out of that, but it puts me in more of that creator mindset. And I think it's so, I think we're so quick, like no one teaches us, how do I need to do this? What, or to ask the question to become, it's more of what do I need to do? How do I do this? And um, those lead to a state of mind that's hard to create. Similar, just like our brain is just like a Google search engine. I can enter in, I can type in what is paradise and go look at Google images and see a beautiful ocean, palm trees, sandy beaches, or I can type in what is death and get skull and crossbones, dark images. It's what we're inputting that's determining the output. And um unfortunately when we grow up in this survivalist mentality and that's what we're taught, it's how do I do this? What do I need to do? How do I like we don't ask the question, who do I need to become? And so it's it's just kind of what we're raised in, is is why I think we go there so quickly.
1: Mm-hmm. So thinking about your own faith journey and your own faith actions, how did how did your faith background help you make that, you know, two year transition and begin to concentrate on becoming rather than doing? It's a good question. I to me it was
0: just this. I was, I really believed that God had something bigger for me. and so I didn't necessarily know what that was, but I remember in college, I wanted to I was thinking about I was a business major and I was thinking about transitioning to doing some type of ministry work and I was talking to my dad about it and he was saying like he he was like you just want to make sure that, that is what you're called to do because there's a lot of sacrifice that comes with that. And Anyway, I just had this stirring in my heart of, man, I feel like God's preparing me for something big. I don't necessarily know what it was, but there was just this belief that came from John 10, 10. I would meditate on that verse and think when Jesus is like, the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I came to give you life and life into the full or some versions say life abundantly. And I just kept thinking like, if Jesus came to give me life into the full and I feel discontent at my job or feel like I don't have enough time for my family, is this in alignment with what he wants for me, what he wants for my life. What does life into the full mean? And to me, as I would like meditate on that verse, it's like, I feel like I'm more in line with stealing, killing, and destroying. When I feel like I don't have enough time, I'm not leading my family as well as I want to. I, I'm struggling to feel like uh, there are enough, we had plenty of resources, but it's there was this idea of not enough, lack. And it's like, this belief system seems to align more with the steal, kill, and destroy that Jesus says from the enemy more than, life and life into the full that Jesus said he came to give me. So I think that was the seed of what does it mean to have to live life and life into the full in my health, with my relationships, right? With my finances, like all these things, life, like all of these things. And the idea of Shalom, it was just that kind of pushed me forward of, well, if this is what God says he wants for me, if this is what Jesus said, he came to give me his life and life into the full, then I'm going to do everything in me to make sure that I actually have in life, what he died for me to have. If he came to give me life and life into the full, then I need to understand what that is. And I want to pursue that in not that he would die in vain, but just Mm -hmm. this idea of there was a great sacrifice that he made. And if I'm going to live in this like mediocre state of mind and fear of lack, all these different things, like that's not why he came. He came to give me life and life into the full. And, And so it's going to look differently for everybody. But I think that was the, just the curiosity in me of what does that look like? And how do I receive that? How do I step into that? Um, Just taking advantage of everything that He came for me to have.
1: So, how did? How does prayer fall into that understanding of our God given assignment?
0: Yeah, I think for me, being married, it was always this. My wife Katie and I really wanted to be unified in everything that we were doing. So if there were times where I've felt like, oh, this is where God is leading me. And I remember having one conversation this with four kids where it was like, I don't know if we're going to be missionaries. I don't know if we're going to be pastors or whatever. I, there was this, still this like stirring in me where it's like, I feel like God is preparing me for something big. And she just wasn't on board with it, right? It, what, there wasn't a unity in that. And I feel like had I like forced that could lead down a, a, a road that we didn't want to go to. So For us to be praying individually, for us to be receiving things of, yes, this is our family vision. This is where we're going. And when we made the decision to leave the corporate job, it was, we both, one day, we both prayed about it. And it was like, as we felt like the spirit was leading us, we both came out of this prayer time unified of like, yes, this is where I feel like the spirit is going. So I think it's definitely a combination of, and if you're not married, like just, I think there needs to be like a peace in the sense of like the anxiety, the like, Oh my gosh, like, like that's not from, that's not from God. He's the Prince of peace. Even though there was uncertainty, there was a peace in like the steps that we were taking that were in alignment with our vision that we both felt like we'd received from prayer in prayer and there was unity in marriage. So I think the combination of those two is really what prompted us to take the next step and for me in my journey, as I've prayed about things and had these desires, I feel like there's a shift where I know that I know that if I don't take action, it's being clearly disobedient. Like I know that I need to take this step and there's this feeling of, I don't really want to do it, but there's also this stirring of, I don't really like that because I know that I'm being disobedient if I don't do that. And mm-hmm. so it wasn't so much of, do I need to do this? It's, I don't know if I want to do this, but I really feel like if I don't do it, I'm not in alignment with where he's leading me. So I think, I don't
1: know if that answers your question, but. Mm-hmm. No, I think it does. And you've mentioned a couple of times fear and you just alluded to it again, that, that time when we feel like, okay, this is clearly the action that I'm supposed to be taking. I don't really want to take it. So how can we work on and develop confidence, develop, overcome those kinds of inertia moments or those fear moments? and move forward more effectively.
0: Yeah. I think what we feed or give into right is going to, is going to grow. So I don't know if it was Zig Ziglar, what we feed or what we grow into. Like it's, it's going to grow. I don't know if his an analogy from Zig Ziglar, but he's talked about, I've heard this analogy of these two dogs, right? Like mm-hmm. the, if they're going to be fighting one's a black dog, one's a white dog. The dog that is fed the most, like if you feed the white dog, like it's going to win the battle over the the black dog. If you feed the black dog, then it's going to win the battle over the white dog. And so in that idea, it's if we're giving into our fear, if we know that, hey, this is going to be disobedient if I don't do this, but it's so scary, so uncertain, I'm just going to stay in my comfort zone, it becomes harder to take action. Versus just developing the muscle of doing things that may be uncertain. So, in a sense, like how can you go throughout your day and make decisions? And I think that's one thing too is learning how to make decisions versus giving yourself choices. Mm. And when you look at the word decision, like the word the first part, the "duh," the "de" means of, and scission means to cut. Right. So we're cutting off. From something. And when we make a decision, it's basically cutting ourselves off from all these other choices, mm-hmm. right? It's like the burn the ships mentality. I've made a decision to move forward versus giving yourself choices. So this may work out, but it, it may not. So now I'm going to jump to this choice and, and we become reactionary, become double minded. So even thinking of how can we start making more decisions, even in the small things, so that when it comes to the big things, we've already worked out that decision-making muscle where we can make a decision and move forward. And yeah, there may be fear involved. There may be some uncertainty, but you've trained yourself to make a decision and move forward. And you've actually given your brain evidence to support like, oh, this is going to work out. Like I'm not going to die versus if we're walking in fear and it's, this is so uncertain. I just want to be secure. You're, you're actually creating more evidence that your brain is going to prove to you that no, you shouldn't because here's why. And then You keep working, you keep moving into this uncertainty space. So I think learning to make decisions versus giving yourself choices and being, Hey, I'm going to, I'm not going to go back on this. This is my decision. I'm and learn from it. And it's, I think so many times we're afraid that we may fail or what failure may mean. You can also shift your perspective and be like, what if there's no such thing as what if I'm going to learn from this? What if this actually sets me up to do something greater? What if this is just feedback? What if this tells me something about myself? Um, learning to shift your perspective. So I'd say to boil all that down, start making decisions, even in the small things to build up that decision-making muscle versus saying, Oh, what are all my choices? But also just saying, Hey, there's no such thing as failure. It's either feedback. It's a learning experience, right? It's a setup to something greater reframe what that could be in a positive light versus, Oh my gosh, this is going to destroy everything. And coming to the worst case scenario of I'm going to be living on the street holding up a sign begging for food, right? Is that really going to
1: happen? And I've been neurologically, we we look at social death, quote unquote, the same as physical death. In fact, actually in some ways it's worse, which is why people will say, oh, if I had to do public speaking, I'll die. What they're really worried about is social death. That somehow or another, they'll be ostracized, they'll be made fun of, but that they'll be put out from the group. And it's, it's not a realistic fear, usually. And yet, we make it a very realistic one as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the questions I like to ask everybody, my brand, of course, is Inspired Stewardship, and I run things through that lens of stewardship. And yet I've discovered over the years that that's one of those words that a lot of different people have a lot of different, they hear a lot of different things when they hear that word. So for you, what does the word stewardship mean? And what has the impact of that meaning been on your life? Yeah, I
0: I love this question because I'm really big into defining words. And what does this mean? Even asking my clients when they're th- like, something's hard, it's like, define hard. What does hard right. mean? Or like it says a lot about the meaning that we've given to something. So when it comes to stewardship, I makes me think of like, where did that, what was the original steward? And it's was a person who like managed a property or the affairs of another entity, or like they, they were basically looking over something that, that wasn't theirs. And so the idea for me is yes, it makes sense to do Look over, like what stewardship is so associated with money, I feel like, in our culture today, especially in the Christian circles. But I think that what about like these ideas, what about these desires that we have that are from God? So when I think about if I'm overseeing something in my life for God, especially if you're a believer, right, what does it look like to oversee that and manage it? If God has given me certain desires, and if we're called to be creators, I really believe that a big part of like our God-given desires are a way that He wants to express Himself into the world. And because we're made in His image, there's an image of God that I carry and an expression of God that I can put out in the world that you can't, and vice versa, and someone else. So the impact that that idea has come for me about being someone who's overseeing something that isn't mine... These desires were like this mission statement that, that God gave me. Like part of that is pursuing that so that God can be fully expressed in the world because he wants to, to co-labor with me. And I love the verse in Isaiah one three that that talks about this as we'll be called trees of righteousness. Like we are to be called like these trees that are in I think the NIV says oaks of righteousness, right? Like the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. The idea that my life should be this something that's, and I don't even want to use the word magnificent as in the sense of so great, but it's there should be something attractive about it that will bring him glory. That there's like this majestic thing about it. And whether that be someone pursuing a desire that they have or time freedom or like these relationships that I have. So I think the impact that it's made on me is, yes, I need to handle my things, my time, my resources, my money in a way, but also these desires that God has given me, I need to manage them. That's part of being a steward of managing them well so that God is fully expressed in the world through me and that people get to see God and the image that that I carry of God just by the way I live my life and what I produce and what I create in life. And
1: magnificent, you use that word, means, comes from the root of Magnificus, which is you know great in deeds. So mm-hmm. again, it's about doing something. It's about creating something. It has yeah. that root of creation. That, like you said, I believe God is a creator, and that means we've got to be creators. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you need to go build an app, or that's not what I mean by creator. But we're creating things into the world when we act in that way. Absolutely. I think it's important to realize. So here's my favorite question. Let's say I could invent this machine and I could pluck you out of the seat where you sit today and transport you into the future, maybe 100 to 150 years. And magically, you were able to look back on your entire life and see all of the ripples, all of the impact that you've left behind. What impact do you hope you've had on the world? Yeah, it's a great question.
0: And what's coming to my mind is probably about a year ago, I was studying the verse in Ephesians that we are called to redeem the time because the days are evil. And it's what does that even mean? And so I was looking up the, the Greek words and just trying to, like I said, I'm, I'm really big into defining the words and if I, if I don't understand what the words means, like how can I really understand what the verse is meaning? And the word redeem is to either buy back or rescue from loss. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that makes sense to me. And this is redeem the time. And I looked up the word time and in this, the dictionary is, said that it's a Greek word where there's no English equivalent. So mm-hmm. it, it said that it's not a succession of seconds. It's not a succession of minutes. It actually means unique opportunity. So there's not an English equivalent to say, but we have this unique opportunity. Okay. So I'm called to rescue from loss or buy back this unique opportunity. That makes sense. Okay. Because the days are evil. doesn't mean the days are evil. I looked at the word evil and the root word for evil means strife. So mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I had this verse here. It's, I need to buy back this unique opportunity, rescue from loss, this unique opportunity, because the days are full of striving. And it was like, wow, we're trained. There's the enemy is out to steal this unique opportunity from me. And he wants, my, he wants me to spend all my time in the state of striving. And God has called me to rescue it from loss, to buy it back. And so... I became really passionate about that. I think that's a big part of my coaching, but I would say to answer your question, if I were to like look back at my life, if it were defined by helping people rescue that unique opportunity from loss to pursue the desires that God has given them to create something, to break out of this survivalist mentality, I would say that's what I would want to be known for is helping people redeem the time and break away from the striving survivalist mentality and walk in that kingdom mindset and living that life that Jesus came for us to have, right? A life to the full, a health to the full, finances to the full, relationships to the full, all of it, the, the idea of shalom. I'd want to be known for helping people walk in that.
1: So, what's coming next for you as you continue on this journey? What's on your roadmap or on the agenda for 2022? Yeah,
0: it's... It's actually very much in line with what I was just saying. I have another company that I have a partner in. We're being in the financial services world for 10 plus years. We have a, a company that is originally like we started earlier this year, where it was helping people trade um, in the stock market. We, I had helped him and he had produced profits. He took $25,000 and turned it into $250,000. And it was this idea of, wow, like there's opportunity for people to buy back their time, to rescue this opportunity from loss. The only way, in my opinion, the only way you can buy back your time, your unique opportunity from loss is through profits. That's profits through a business, profits to someone else, because trading time for money, the only way you can make more money to buy back your time is to spend more time, right? You eventually run out. When you think in the terms of profits, like I can sell, say I'm selling a book, I can sell one book in 10 minutes, I can sell a hundred books in 10 minutes. So there's this opportunity for people to learn how to think differently, how to potentially create a business, to learn how to trade or create some type of income with profits to to buy back their time. And so in that idea, we're with that company, we're thinking through what does it look like to have a platform, to have a business of helping people, believers or non-believers embrace this mindset of my unique opportunity, like someone's out there actively trying to take that away from me. How can I buy back that time and equipping them with resources to either build a business or to create profits through trading and stock market, whatever. And yeah, we're just had a call before I met with you where we're brainstorming what that looks like. And so, yeah, I think 2022 is going to be expanding on that vision, pursuing that kind of creating ways to help people walk in their assignment and breaking free and thinking differently from maybe just trying to survive or living in strife, but no buying back their time and using their unique opportunity to pursue the assignment that God has put on their heart.
1: You can follow Tom over on Facebook as TR Herman. That's H E R M A N N or on LinkedIn as Tom Herman. He's also over on Instagram as Tom Herman coach or find out more about his coaching and services on his website, attractivelydifferent.com. Tom, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listener?
0: Yeah, I think if any of this has stirred in you, right? Like pursuing your unique assignment, buying back your time, rescuing it from loss, right? I would encourage you to really look to see, look at your desires, right? Because I think desires, especially in the Christian culture, can have a negative connotation to it. I think people look at it and be like, no, those are bad. Those are fleshly. My heart is deceitfully and wicked. And yet, as I've gone through my journey, I've realized, you no, know, God has placed certain desires in me as almost like a roadmap to part of my assignment. And so I would encourage people, as you're, if you do have the idea of, I don't know what my assignment is, I don't know what my purpose is, but this is all resonating with me. What are those? Get really curious about your desires and see where they're coming from. And it's like they're not all bad. I really do think the spirit plants those seeds in our hearts for us to steward them and cultivate them like there may be a growing as po- pro- a growing process to like really cultivate them. But I would encourage you to just get really curious about your desires. Take them to the Lord and be like, "Hey, is this from you?" I used the example before, like someone may have a desire for a ten thousand square foot house, and as I say, that's like, oh my gosh, that's very materialistic. But what if their desire is to have a space to bring in eight or ten married couples and do marriage coaching and restore marriages, and they're creating a space to to do that? Right, like that may be a great. But if I need a ten thousand square foot house to have the the big flex and puff out my chest to be like, look how great I am, that's probably not a desire from from the Lord. So it's like. The ten thousand square foot house is just a neutral thing. So I would just encourage people get really curious about those desires, and see where God
1: may lead you. Thanks so much for listening to the Inspired Stewardship podcast. As a subscriber and listener, we challenge you to not just sit back and passively listen, but act on what you've heard and find a way to live your calling. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor go over to inspiredstewardship.com slash iTunes rate, all one word, iTunes rate. It'll take you through how to leave a rating and review and how to make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get every episode as it comes out in your feed. Until next time, invest your time, your talent, and your treasures. Develop your influence and impact the world.